0: Welcome to Regeneration Studio. I'm Katarina, and this is another narrative journey exploring risk taking and creativity in business and art. Where we ask one question how can we overcome our fears, live outside the box, and transform ourselves and our community? Right, guys, ready for some saddish and exciting news at the same time? This is one of my last typically regeneration style episodes. After one year of working my butt off as a podcaster and suffering from hamster wheel syndrome, great, 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 create, without actually taking a look around me, a major shift is on its way. Now, to cut a long story short, because I know we're all here to actually find out how the hell we can change the world, My show has a new name and that's all I'd like to let you know. It's no longer Regeneration Studio and the focus will be different too. So you might see some small changes happening around and then some bigger ones following that. But I have now officially rebranded as, wait for it, just a little longer. Creators Abroad. Don't be alarmed, it's still me. As for the details of who, what, where, why, that's coming up. It's all based on one very simple notion, and there's lots of ways to kind of explain this. And my guest, Catherine Canty, will also show this in this episode. But basically, it's about finding out who out there would actually enjoy and really benefit from our experience, our life knowledge, and our expertise. And once you've identified that, it's honing in on that and deciding how you can help them. Now, there's a trailer coming soon that will clarify all of this. But for now, let's talk about the Internet. So one of the greatest modern inventions, it was designed to share information at the drop of the hat. It has, however, become a lot more than just that. It has changed the way we live entirely, allowing us to be part of a social network, take part in digital festivals and conferences and have digital movie theatres in our homes. And in 2020, despite the pandemic and lockdowns and all of that, it allowed the world to carry on in some respects, enabling some of us to continue working at home and buy goods online. The internet has more users than some small countries have people. Yet what we might not realize is that in rural communities, there is a massive broadband gap with little or no network signal. And if no one does anything about the gap, it will only get larger. Now think about this. What if you identified a major issue in the world like this broadband gap and did something about it? How do you do something about it? small or large, we can all change the world a tiny bit if we set our minds to it. But you do need commitment to step forward and take the lead. Catherine Canty, my guest in this episode, is an example of this. Escaping the world of corporate banking and business development, she became a leadership coach out to make a difference. And she's joining me in studio to talk more about the attitude and mindset necessary to be an amazing leader and guess what Change the world welcome to the show Catherine
1: thank you so much for having me I'm very humbled by your kind words thank you you're welcome to give listeners an idea
0: of who you are imagine there's a film soon to be released called Catherine can you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer it's
1: very tricky but I will do my best Um, I am a recovering banker. And for the past 20 years, I have traveled the country in America to help other people grow their business. And I knew that there was just something else out there that I could do to help and pay it forward to others. Because there's been so many people who have helped me along my journey that I've decided to go out on my own. And I left corporate America on great terms, but I just knew there was more for that, for me. And um, I took a, a step out almost two years ago. And I took the path of leadership coaching, and it's been an amazing opportunity. Scene one, recovering banker. Bankers
0: who decide to pursue other careers often have to recover from the financial world which runs to a different clock as the rest of the world and where money has an entirely different value system. You described yourself just now as a recovering banker. So what did you originally envision for your life and how did you eventually end up in business and finance?
1: I was going to be an architect and I've always enjoyed designing homes and renovating spaces and just mentally the challenge of trying to embrace constraints And figure Mm -hmm. out how can you repurpose a space in a way that's more functional for today. Okay, that's fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I started out wanting to be an architect, and I remember meeting architects, and I remember meeting people Mm -hmm. in business. And before I made a decision, you know, moms are always real good at making sure that you've done your research before you jump off and and get into Mm -hmm. a big life decision, and. After meeting with both sides, architects and business professionals, I learned that business would allow me more flexibility and I definitely wanted more flexibility in my life. And it's interesting, even though I went down a banking path in business, I still renovate homes for fun on the side. And that's a way for me to be able to live both dreams.
0: Yes, Um, I've always had an interest in it
1: myself. Did you study Uh, Like architecture or? Yeah, so when I was in high school, they had a CAD program where you can Mm -hmm. actually go online and take classes and learn how to use space. And I just remember that course and I really did enjoy it. And we moved around a little bit growing up and it was always just about what can you do without moving any major walls or without adjusting any major structural issues within the home? And, you know, it just, just being able to embrace those constraints helped me a lot. And, you know, I, I, I guess it's all just, all just self-taught. And when you live in a yeah. space and you just pay attention to the detail and the function and mm-hmm. you just learn, it costs a lot of money to move an electrical panel. So we're going to keep the electrical panel where it is and use that money mm-hmm. for maybe paint and carpet. Um, same thing for the plumbing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can keep the plumbing in the same line for a building, if you're in a multi-story building, or if you're right now, we're doing a commercial renovation on six storefronts. If I can keep all my plumbing along the back line of each building, it's going to save me money. So then I can use that excess money not spent to go towards something else. And that could be something aesthetic, you know, just as simple as paint or ceiling doors, things like that.
0: Yes, and it's not something that would necessarily cross your mind that eventually in what you've ended up doing by like helping uh, develop uh, well businesses and so forth, it could actually be beneficial too.
1: I was just thinking about an embracing of constraints and that seems mm-hmm. to be a common theme with everything, whether it's going to be in architecture and design or whether it's in business and um, within leadership coaching. And we only have so many hours in the day, and we only have so much resources. And this is a way to embrace the constraints in both areas. Okay, great insight. But
0: from there, you actually entered corporate banking first, and then you eventually left that to set up the leadership coaching agency under your name, Catherine Canty. Now, what major crossroad led you to leave the corporate world, and what did you decide? and do as a result?
1: Yeah, so a a major crossroad was probably three years before I left corporate banking. I knew that there was more that I wanted to give, and I had an incredible opportunity to climb up within the organization. And as I look at that, I wanted to be able to find a way to pay it forward, just as many other people had helped me because I couldn't be where I am without sponsorships not just mentors but actually sponsors who have my back Mm -hmm. in the HR planning meetings and today Mm -hmm. I think we all could use a few more sponsors and a few less mentors and by having the sponsors who have your back within your career you're able to go into different avenues and have different experiences which are wonderful and as i looked at that, I just knew, I guess in the core, my core, I knew that I wanted to be able to do more. And all these people that helped me along the way, I always thought, is there a way for me just to give back like they've been able to give back to me? And so it probably, it was very frustrating in the beginning, but probably the last three years, I started to come about with a plan by hiring a coach and kind of working through how do I want to pay it forward. And there's always been opportunities that I could step up and be able to help other people and you know we may talk about the internet in a little bit and uh, that's just another way to be able to pay it forward and help somebody else so leadership coaching for me seemed like a natural transition from banking and I hired a coach to help me get through the process and and create Mm -hmm. the checklist and and just get that ball rolling. And even though I didn't have the right answer at all the times, I knew I had to make a decision to take one more step further and then I'd reevaluate and then do that again. Okay. That's really interesting. So what do you mean by sponsors? So there's two differences where well, you've got men and women and you have sponsors and mentors and mm-hmm. men tend to have more sponsors than women. The research shows and women tend to have more mentors. And a mentor is someone that you can bounce ideas against and just kind of say, hey, how about this scenario, et cetera. A sponsor is somebody who actually has your back when it comes to succession planning and the doors are closed and you're not in the room. Does anybody actually speak up actively on your behalf? And that's going to be a sponsor. Mm-hmm. And the sponsor is going to be the one that says, hey, I think Catherine can actually run this team or they think that Catherine can run this project. And the sponsor says, you know, I know she doesn't have a track record with X, Y, Z, but she does have a track record with one, two, three. So why don't we give her a chance? And the sponsor takes my back and encourages me to be able to take on the project when I'm not in the room. And they also trust me because they know that I've made them look good in the past and that I'll probably keep making them look good. And it's a win-win because they can keep growing their team. And it's also a way to be able to grow myself in that same way. This is
0: something that's not, not common here. Maybe it is, and I'm just not aware of it. But So it's got absolutely nothing to do with the traditional sense of like, like a sponsor or sponsorship. It's just in a term, business terms.
1: Yes. And, you know, a lot of people, Mm -hmm. even when I left corporate America and I was planning, you know, who are my sponsors, it's this underlying opportunity that sits in all organizations. And I've made a mistake where I aligned myself too closely with one manager. And after that manager retired and I'd worked with that person for 10 years, that manager, when they left, I didn't I had a big sponsorship with that person. I didn't have sponsorships in other departments that would have my back. So when that person retired, my career stagnated. And at that point, I knew I had to reach out and go see what else I could do and learn from that opportunity to make sure with my next leap, I had sponsors in legal and procurement and um, operations and everywhere that, that you may be. Yes.
0: Well, I'm really interested in, in like this concept because it's true and you probably just think of it differently, not necessarily as a sponsor, but it is an important thing to have when you're within a business. But we are going to carry on just talking a little bit more specifically about what you specialize in. So you're described on the thought leader on a number of topics, including strategic planning, B2B sales, change management, customer experience and so forth, there are a number. You have climbed the corporate ladder and then you became a solopreneur. How did you become a specialist on these topics?
1: There's a lot of curiosity with me and I lean into Mm. the curiosity and just see where it takes me. And B2B selling has always been really important in my career. And it may not be selling. It could be you need to create influence and influence and selling could be very similar. We are all trying to help other people, and we all are trying to drive forward a project. And so when you're trying to influence a consumer or trying to influence a business, you have different ways to message and connect with people. And just like I talked about with sponsorship and mentorship, when you're trying to create change within an organization or have B2B sales, business-to-business sales, you want to be able to create multiple points that can help drive home the opportunity that you bring to the table. And as we sell to other businesses, we're learning just a few years ago, it took 5.7 on average number of people to make a decision if you're doing a business to business sales opportunity. That number only continues to climb. And when you think about it, if you go into an organization, you have the person that you're connecting with, but usually they have a gatekeeper. They probably have a manager or they have some direct reports that need to buy in to what your solution is. And then my favorite is procurement and legal, because I would always forget to bring them into the party until the very end. And if you don't bring in legal and procurement and they're reading all the documents before you sign it, You got to start back over at step one. They were not a part of that process and they didn't really understand what the solution is. So they immediately put their hands up and could possibly shut down or slow down a project.
0: Yes. I mean, so it's really complicated when you think about it and with your specialization, obviously your experience, you bring that to the table or you help your clients with all of those aspects and helping them grow their business in the end. Yeah. Uh, how do you, however, so you've got an agency under the name Catherine Candy. So how do you maintain influence as a solopreneur? So you don't have that backing that you used to have perhaps within an organization.
1: My network has been extremely kind to me. And before I even took a step out, I invested in myself with a coach and with a website and developed this presence online And took courses on how to navigate LinkedIn and different ways to be able to connect people in a professional world, which oddly enough, I think also prepared me during COVID because we cannot get out in front of people face-to-face anymore. And so we have to be creative and we have to figure out how to get in front and to be able to connect with people. So, you know, it took time, like all of this stuff is just organically coming together but when you can take one small step each day and allow it to compound and, and just take the next step, you'll look back after a year. I was just looking at some stats. I'm looking back after a year and I'm like, where did that awesome number come from? And it's just from showing up every day and being who you are and doing a little bit of work, regardless of whether somebody's watching or not. And the compound effect begins to uh, take place. I mean,
0: I can't stress how important that is, because sometimes when we're just starting out or even like in the process of things like going, well, wherever the office is, but like showing up at work every day, sometimes it just starts feeling pointless. But the idea is to know that it's not always seen on a day to day basis. But like you said, it's the compound effect. Eventually, you'll you'll see a result and you might even be surprised by that.
1: I'm continuously surprised it really is it's it's amazing every day and then you have days where you're like Mm -hmm. I don't think any of that mattered and you worked really hard and you're not going to see the Mm -hmm. result for maybe a few more months but when it comes in you're like wow that was magical but it was really because you showed up before that day.
0: Scene two, rural broadband activist. Now I've mentioned internet right at the start and While internet usage obviously is going up, the broadband gap between rural and urban areas is getting larger. We're back to that age-old trend where having access to opportunities in cities and large towns is bigger rather than in the countryside. The migration that happens because of it, I'm just going to redo that because I've got a cat mowing at the back and she's distracting me. I'll cut this out, don't worry. (laughs) It makes you human
1: i think you should keep it (laughs)
0: okay (laughs) and she's gonna now want to distract me even more
1: i love animals that's the best (laughs) they are in charge i'll try
0: i'll I'll try and keep her quiet here so we're back to that age-old trend where having access to opportunities in cities and large towns is more common than in the countryside and because of that there's this migration that happens where a handful of people are then left behind in and isolated in communities where much potential and jobs are lost. You feel strongly about this issue, which when I did look into it, I actually, it's I learned a lot about it and I was like, oh yes, this it makes sense, of course. Now, it is only gonna get worse as our reliance on digital services increase. What is the implication of leaving rural communities to fend for themselves? So without any outside interventions, why are you passionate about this basically?
1: For seven years, I traveled to rural communities in the United States and I live in a rural community and there's certain gifts that you receive when you live in a small town and it's walking your kid to school. It's, you know, going over to a neighbor's house for dinner and cookouts and there's just a certain way of living that I think after COVID, people are going to want this community um, closeness that we may have realized that we had missed before COVID. And as I traveled across the country for eight, seven, eight years, I looked at these rural communities and they reminded me of home. And Mm -hmm. they remind me that there's talent throughout this world and there's talent throughout these communities. And in America, what I was doing was supporting the farmers and the agriculture areas because when you're in these rural communities, you typically have raw land and you're growing crops or you're raising cattle that's being used to feed everybody. And we have a a term called hangry. And when you get hungry, you get angry. And, you know, I get angry when I'm hungry. And so... It's important to keep these farmers connected and it's important to keep the farmers connected with the rest of the world. So as I traveled out to meet the farmers and to make sure that they had what they needed from a banking standpoint, I learned they have a tremendous amount of technology on the farm. And I went and visited a robotic dairy where they actually have robots that can milk the cows three times a day. It was mind-blowing, and they had an automatic, what I would call a automatic vacuum machine that would push the feed back into the stalls for the cows. And so they're reducing the amount of manpower because, A, they can't find anybody who wants to push the hay back into the cows, and so you can't find anybody, and if you do, they usually leave pretty quickly, so it's a very high turnover role. But if you're able to use technology to help automate some of this, to help feed us that are trying not to be hangry in this world, this is a way to do that. And to do that, you have to have reliable broadband, not just Internet, but you need to have reliable access to the Internet. And a few years ago, I think it's almost been two years, our administration in our country actually put out... 600 million dollars to agricultural communities through a grant process and when I learned that a that this was available and I knew we had gaps in the community that I live in I thought well let's see if we can marry the gaps in this opportunity together to see if it can help my small hometown.
0: Okay where do you live now?
1: I live in a small town in South Carolina. It's about an hour south of Charlotte. Most people know where Charlotte, North Carolina is. And I could easily go to wherever I needed to with the Charlotte airport. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, so it's really interesting because I live, well, basically on the the edge of the countryside. It's, It's sort of in the countryside, but not quite. It's a very strange area of England. And I grew up in South Africa where the that kind of concept of a broadband gap or just places having no internet whatsoever. And then those, I mean, just the different way of living is a very real issue. And it's almost getting worse to a certain extent. I mean, each place is different. So it is a fascinating topic. And I think what you're doing is great. And of course, you got to see all of this, uh, the farms and the technology that they use there during your banking career. Is this right?
1: Yes. So we would Mm -hmm. go out and see farmers in the field, and I would crawl up in the tractors with the farmers and just listen to what their struggling moments were out in the field. And it really hit home when I rode around with some account officers, and we were trying to roll out an online loan application, which you think is pretty normal and standard. And I couldn't figure out why they weren't using it. And there's no better way to figure something out than to actually go ride in a pickup truck with a loan officer and feel Mm -hmm. the frustration that they feel. And I tried to ask, or I I did ask, why do you have a resistance to this online application? He said, you don't understand. I don't resist it. I don't have any Internet when I'm in my pickup truck Mm -hmm. going to see the farms. And Mm -hmm. these guys all have incredible amount of technology, but for them to upload the technology needs, they take the data from wherever they are in the field and they have to go back to their home and use the internet that they have at their house. Mm -hmm. So the farmer has a gap or an opportunity. And then the loan officers, they couldn't take a loan application in the pickup truck with the farmer nearby. They had to go to somebody's house and plug in to receive internet.
0: Can you describe how you're helping close this gap in rural communities?
1: So it started with a lunch and learn at the bank. And again, just a curiosity that I have towards broadband. And they mentioned something about vertical assets, which I didn't know what that was. And so I went to the lunch and learn and just listened to a one hour presentation of broadband and the use of vertical assets. And a vertical asset is anything that goes up in to the air that could be a grain bin or a water tower um, a fire tower anything that's going up into the air you can actually have real estate on that vertical asset that then you can sell to broadband providers and so the best real mm-hmm. estate would be at the top and then a little bit less real estate you know you could bargain all the way down it doesn't go as far the lower you go on the vertical asset um, so i learned about this and i thought wow you know, we have grain bins, we have water towers, we have all this in, in my little community where I live. And I talked to the speaker afterwards and I said, could you run a gap for me, a gap analysis for me, for my community? And he ran a preliminary one. He said, yeah, you do have needs. And there is this grant, this federal grant through the United States Department of Agriculture that you could potentially... If you could collaborate with enough right people, this could actually work out. And it would be pretty amazing. And so I followed back up. I mean, this was like such a slow, big change happened slowly behind the scenes. So
0: Hmm. that
1: probably happened in March. And then he probably reached back out to me in probably August, September timeframe and said, here's the map. He said, can you get some community leaders together to see if there is a true need? So I made some phone calls and was able to get our education, our kindergarten through 12th grade education, school district together, our hospital, our healthcare, our free clinic could come together. Well, telemedicine is impacted with that as well workforce development. So you've got technical schools and furthering your education, and then we also had agriculture. So we brought all four of these people together in a room, and I asked a very simple question, do we need reliable broadband for our future of our community? And despite all backgrounds, all differences around the table, they could easily agree that, yes, we do need reliable broadband. So from that, I did a little bit more research and figured out that we needed to find a provider who was eligible for this particular grant from the government and with that presenter's help we were able to find a provider that could be eligible for the money so then we met with the provider literally i made a cold call on this company and said you don't know me but i live in this small town i have a community of leaders who want to have reliable broadband. Would you submit the grant application on our behalf? We met several times and long story short, they had to hire a number of contractors and people to support the application to the federal government to say that we have the community and that we have the telecommunications company ready if we should receive the funding. And we submitted that, I think we waited probably nine months And in February of 2020, we received an announcement that it's going to result in a $12.1 million public and private partnership that's actually going to put in 256 miles of fiber into our community that's going to help close the broadband gap for education, medical, agriculture, and workforce development.
0: I mean, that's really amazing because I know this is your example, something of what you've done, but I think this speaks to so many different communities across the world. And it shows that sometimes it just takes one person to kind of set the ball rolling, to transform a whole community, to change the way things are going for various sectors in that community and obviously ensuring a healthy future um, and the continued vibrance of that community. So that's quite incredible. Now, you secured this investment, as you explained, and that did bring new life back into the small towns by converting also unused storefronts and placing business accelerators in them. And this, in turn, created jobs. This is something I've read when I did some research on you. Is that right?
1: Yes, so we're in that process right now, and we have the broadband funding secured, and our our next... Um, Opportunity is to take an empty storefront now that we know that we have broadband in here. And I've spent the past six months actually touring the empty storefronts that are available and worked mm-hmm. with the business owners. We have submitted all of the grant applications in order for the funding to come through. And I'm pretty sure because of COVID, everything's moving just a smidgen slower than it normally should. Yeah. Um, we've submitted a number of applications and now we're waiting on responses from those grants to be able to move forward.
0: Yeah, Well that's incredible. So can you firstly tell us as a leadership coach what is your role in terms of helping startups and entrepreneurs looking to grow their influence in business and you can relate this back perhaps to what you've done?
1: Yes I think as a leadership coach I bring a different perspective to the table, one that I have studied leadership and I've become certified with leadership coaching, but I also bring to the table navigating the corporate environment and all of the mistakes that I learned along the way that I can, you know, be able to help. And as far as looking to grow influence in businesses and and using leadership coaching I can't help but fall back on what got me to where I am, which is that business to business and being able to create influence and selling to other people. I think that's just a a core service that anybody really needs to have in order to drive change is to be able to drive influence and create change, but not just talk about it. I think it's going to be real important to also live what you're talking about. And don't just say to do this, but actually show up and do it with everybody. By your side. Yes, very, very
0: true. Uh, secondly, how does your work in the States, and this is to wrap up all the work that you've done here, set an example of what can be done for communities
1: across the world? If we just go back to the simplicity of it, it truly is have a curiosity about a potential opportunity in your town and show up. To what that opportunity is, and ask questions and ask to support, and ask, you know, is there anything that I can do? Whether it's just setting up a meeting with diverse people from the community, maybe that's all you need to do is just set up a meeting and let people talk. And from that discussion, can you find one key takeaway from that that maybe piques your curiosity that you want to go follow up on and research? And really, whether it's broadband or it's leadership or starting your own business, this all starts with just a curiosity to solve a struggling moment in somebody else's life. And if we can help enough other people be able to overcome these struggles, um, it's rewarding for them, but it's also rewarding to us. And I think it helps us serve the world in a bigger purpose.
0: Once again, you said it really, really well in the sense that if we don't ask if we don't actually go out and find out what we can do and what are the needs from other people, which takes a bit of courage, it's not always that easy. We'll never know whether the idea we have or whether something we've learned, something new, could potentially have a positive impact on the place where we live, the town or community. Scene three, being a leader when no one else wants to leaders are essential in the daily running of any entity governments councils boards organizations schools etc leaders are even more essential when those entities face a disaster and drastic change measures are needed the financial crash of 2008 is one example covid 19 is another smaller scale disasters could be linked to Changing trends, organizational issues, government, and economic instability. Firstly, what is your definition of leadership? And then by your definition, can anyone be a leader?
1: I think a leader is here to help other people and to put other people and their needs first. And as far as, as my definition, can anyone be a leader? I truly think you have to want to be a leader. You can say you want to be a leader, but are you showing up authentically? And are you living what you say you want to do? And someone is always watching. And I have an example of when I was traveling with my CEO of a bank that I was working with, and I didn't think anything of it, but we're on an airplane, and we're in two different sections of the plane. I'm in the way back, I think. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I didn't know, but He, you know, everybody's standing up to get off the plane and he saw me back there and there was a mom with a baby that was crying in a stroller and I didn't think anything of it because I have a son and I can hardly survive motherhood with, you know, all the help that I have. So I saw a mom that was just struggling with a crying baby in a stroller and everybody else is just like dying to get off the plane. And I just Mm -hmm. took a moment and said, Hey, can I help you? Um, I'll hold the stroller, I'll hold a bag, you know, I know it's got to be hard to get down these aisles and with the bags to get to the stroller and everything else. And so, you know, I didn't think anything of it, but the CEO actually sent me an email probably a week later. And the subject line was something like, you probably didn't realize this. And so I opened it and I was thinking, you know, we always think the worst things when CEOs send you notes. Yeah, And I opened it up (laughs) and he said, you probably didn't realize this, but you helped a mom and a crying baby and everybody else on that plane was avoiding eye contact and just trying to get off to get the next flight or to get home or to get to a meeting. And Mm -hmm. you took the time to help. And I just wanted to say that I noticed, and I'm glad you're on our team. And I don't know, just that example just reminds me that people are watching, whether we know they're watching or not, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. you really do have to try to be the best version of you and and try to do what you say you're going to do:
0: Yeah, and I think that ties back into what we mentioned earlier, where sometimes it's just about showing up every single day, and even if you don't have the immediate result in front of you that kind of justifies what you're doing, the hard work you're putting in, or perhaps some of the troubles that you're going through, it's just carrying on because somewhere someone might be watching and and seeing what's going on. Now thinking specifically of COVID-19 and the need for radical flexibility in the way we work, do you have any client-based examples of how your coaching has helped business leaders adapt?
1: This is such a great question. So I was working with a company in upstate New York, and I'm in the Southeast United States and I was helping them grow their business. And I was fortunate enough to help them double their clients within 90 days. And then it dawned on me, I could keep working for them or I could teach them how to do this. And as a result, I actually put together a sales program that is all about how to grow your business when you cannot leave home. And I broke it down into three modules. The first was to simplify your message so you can connect with people easier. The second was all second module is all about creating influence to be able to create that change that you're striving to do. And then the third one was, since we can't go out and network, how do you leverage LinkedIn so you can control your own network of who you're going to be in front of? So as a result of COVID-19 and the way we kind of have to redo business, I put together this three step program and actually sold it back to the group in upstate New York so they could use it as they continue to grow across the country. And then I went and repackaged it and was able to do an online a Zoom course with with folks. It was actually just a lot of fun. You had business people from all over the country that were dialing in and sharing their experiences. And I took twenty years of just how do you create influence and how do you navigate change and packaged it to a very simple, you know, step one, two, three process. And that program's just available on my website now. I just have the recordings out there if, if, you know, people like Mm. to listen to that information. So, but that would never have happened if it wasn't for COVID. I would never have thought to package that together.
0: Yes. I think that was one positive thing that came from that whole experience was (laughs) having to create a lot of material that can be used and putting a lot of knowledge in an online accessible form Um, and then suddenly you find all these people are interested in having it and that's like online courses and guides like you've created and whatnot so leaders however are not necessarily always favored so even when these changes happen and we have to set an example of how we can adapt of how we can work better in new circu- under new circumstances. The reason is because of change. So leaders propel organizations into new directions. And as humans, our first reaction is normally resistance because of the uncertainty. So we do have a lot of examples of places who simply didn't adapt to the new situation, to the fact that they can't physically go to a place, to their office, to their store, for- or to the restaurant or whatever, um, or they took very, very long to do that. What are the three key factors to be an effective leader within business and life? And especially thinking about communicating and navigating changes.
1: That's another really good question. So as I have reflected back and read countless books and listened to speakers and podcasts, I've learned Mm -hmm. One, that, one thing that really sticks out is when you're going to be effective and when you're going to need to communicate and navigate changes, something important to remember is there's three different types of people in this world, and you're going to have the people that are extremely skeptical of everything that you're doing and saying, and then you're going to have these people that are your, your advocates, and they're always going to love you no matter what you say. But then you have these people in the middle. And these are the ones, they just, they're not real sure if they're going to be over there and and resist what you're doing. And they're not real sure if they're just totally 100% have your back. But it's these people in the middle, Mm -hmm. these people that have a little bit of skepticism. These are the people, if you can focus on them, they will turn into your advocates, especially if you can find small wins along the way. They want to be a part of a winning team. They just haven't seen your proof yet. So if you focus not on the people who are just totally against you and not Mm. the people who are totally for you, but that big gray area, can you move one or two of those people, create a win, and now you've brought them over to being an advocate of you and your work, and then continue to work on that gray area again to keep moving people over And don't worry about the people that are never going to change their minds. They will always be there. But focus on the good and focus on the people who haven't made up their minds yet.
0: Yes, and I think from a more personal perspective, it's also it's thinking closely about the people who you surround yourself with. So if you have those extreme skeptics in your life and you, for example, running a business by yourself or like for you, in your case, a solopreneur, having those Just the skeptics around you might not be so great for actually going out and doing what you want to do, but it's finding the people who support you in what you want to do. And it's a great advice that you gave about the gray area. Oh, and the other thing that crossed my mind when I um, looked at or thought of this question was also just the communication. It's just communicating very clearly what changes are necessary and why they're necessary. So, As we've realized from some of the excellent insights you've given us, you have this extensive experience in the corporate and financial world. And more recently, you also took on the role of leadership through your work in closing the broadband gap in rural communities. So you're setting an example for other people to do similar actions. You've also helped a number of clients develop their businesses. Which of these roles, which one is most important to you? And how would you like to be an even better leader in the future?
1: I've been able to help a lot of people in different ways. And I've, if I had to pick, you know, one thing that really stands out, no matter how I help people, the real core of all of this is just wanting to help other people accomplish their goals and helping them get the results that they want And I did that whether I was in banking and I did that whether I was in leadership coaching and it may not be the exact answer that that you're looking for. But for me, I love helping other people reach their goals and help them be the best version of themselves. Mm -hmm.
0: If there's one thing you'd like to do even better or more or extra, what would it be?
1: I'd love to have a bigger impact. You know, I'd... We talk Mm -hmm. like broadband is is huge and it is huge, but I would love to even have a bigger impact than that. Like I just Mm -hmm. I want to be able to help other people. And it may just be as simple as what we're talking about is consistently show up every day and the opportunities will be in Mm -hmm. front of us and we choose what we can help with and um, the impact helps happens regardless. So it could be as simple as that, you know, it goes back to everything we just talked about, show up every day and help a little bit. And when you do look back on it, it will amount to something bigger.
0: Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Catherine.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. Thank you. So where can people find out more about you
0: and what you have to offer? For example, the course that you were talking about or the guide,
1: My website is Catherine Canty and I spell that with a C and it's CatherineCanty.com and on LinkedIn, you can find me under Catherine Canty as well.
0: Okay, great. And I'll include all the links in the show notes. Before we go, I do have a couple of quick fire questions. Feel free to elaborate as much or as little as you like, just so that listeners can get to know you better. What is the most recent film or series you watched podcast you listened to or book you read?
1: Gosh, I finished The Crown, and that was awesome.
0: Yes, I love that uh, the series, but I haven't started. See, I think it's season four now. I haven't started yet, so oh, I got
1: addicted to it. I love it, and it's so silly. I mean, I just love just to be able to see the history and you know a little bit of the 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 scenes and the the beautiful. Mm -hmm. Just environment that they're in is amazing. So mm. it's a, it's my way of being able to travel, but not travel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to do that. What important truth do very few people agree with you on?
1: Everybody has opportunity. Like I see opportunity with everything and everyone. No matter how many houses I've renovated, you know, people are like, "Oh, tear it down! It's just horrible," and I think. Mm there's opportunity there. Like if you've got four walls or in my current scenario with the current house, we have three walls. And you know, it's just easier to tear it down. But I truly see that there's an opportunity there. And I just want to prove them wrong and make it come back to life. So I see opportunity pretty much everywhere.
0: Yes, I can agree with that. I'm the same. What is the biggest challenge you've overcome?
1: I think one of the biggest challenges early in life, which I hated it at the time, but I also think it it set me in motion for later to overcome other challenges, was when I was in eighth grade and my parents were adamant that I was going out for the senior or the, the varsity golf team. That's the guys' golf team. And it was horrible. <laughs> I hated it. But I showed up every day, and I played from the men's tees, and tried to hang in there with these juniors and seniors, and um, I managed to survive. And actually, played with them for four years before we had a girls' team. My senior year, and once we were on the, I was on the girls' team. We actually went undefeated in one state. But that would never have happened if I didn't just suck it up in eighth grade and go out yeah. there and just. Keep my head down and just try to survive.
0: Yeah, I love that story. And <laughs> what is your favorite? What is your favorite travel destination and why?
1: I love going to warm places. So um, I don't really like to be cold. So anywhere that's going to be warm mm. and sunny, I love sunshine, and um, it just makes me happy.
0: If you had to pick one place where the sun shines, here it's com- it's terrible very snowy. I love the snow by the way. But
1: I, I do like the snow. We do go snow skiing and that's fun. I just uh, don't like putting on all those layers of clothes. I know. But you know a year ago I was just looking at my calendar. A year ago I was in Turks and Caicos with um, some girlfriends and mm-hmm. it was so relaxing and peaceful and it was just really beautiful. The sun and the sand and no commitments to needing to do anything. So a year ago we were in Mm -hmm. Turks and Caicos and um, that was just a great place to be. Yeah,
0: can't wait to be able to just go somewhere that's not home, that's not like offers home everything now. (laughs) Now to wrap everything up, what advice would you give to someone wishing to start a career as a leadership coach?
1: Stay curious and lead with value. I think leading with value is going to help your career if you want to get into leadership coaching. And maybe you, I don't know, maybe you get into leadership coaching and you figure out this didn't really excite me like I thought it was, but stay curious and get into it. But if you help lead with value and just help enough other people, it's all going to come together and just show up every day and do a little bit every day. And I'm convinced it's going to pay off in the end.
0: Once again, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed learning more about all the things you do. And
1: yes, just thank you. Thank you. You did a wonderful job. I love all your questions. This has been great. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening
0: to the show. Remember, from now on, we're no longer Regeneration Studio. As of this episode, We are creators abroad and we'll slowly be adjusting everything including social media, website, the episode artwork, everything will slowly change. But that doesn't change anything about you. If you enjoyed this narrative journey, please consider following our podcast, subscribing, whichever word you prefer. Come and say hello on Insta at creators.abroad or navi over to our website, which is still regenerationstudio.co.uk, but it will change soon. Get in touch, tell us what you think, and why not take a second, leave us a rating and review on Apple. That would be so great. It helps more people find the show and helps us share these amazing stories of difficult roads and beautiful destinations stories that could make a small difference in someone else's life. Join me next time for more narrative journeys outside the box.